welcome to Cryptic Chronicles, a show dedicated to exploring all the mysteries of existence, as well as everything fringe, cryptic, or weird in the world, where we explore the unexplained, paranormal, metaphysical, esoteric, and topics far from the narrative of mundane mainstream society. Today on the show, I'm once again joined by the famous Dr. Margaret Van Koops. And we talk about her latest book just released this month, The Light Side of the Oneness. She's a profound spiritual teacher and a veteran paranormal researcher. Dr. Margaret is one of the most enlightened people I've ever met, and her every word drips with wisdom. The book is quite esoteric and mind-expanding, yet grounded in wonderful prose and an entertaining structure. It's really easy to read. Can zip right through it without even knowing how long you've been reading it. So I highly suggest that you go grab her new book on Amazon, as well as her other work once you're done. It's super affordable and none of her work is geared towards profit. There's a lot to read and as you know, I'm a bookworm, so I'm gobbling it all up wholesale. But enough introduction, let's go talk to Dr. Margaret, shall we listener? I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Once again, we are honored with the presence of Dr. Margaret Van Koops. Dr. Margaret is the author of 18 books. Um, I think 18 now, right? Uh, I lose count, but probably. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's basically all around a wonderful person. Dr. Margaret also runs a prolific blog and website dedicated to her higher calling. Dr. Margaret is a medium, healer, hypnotherapist, uh, metaphysiotherapist, doctor of integrated medicine, ordained minister, psychic, counselor, healer, and much more. Dr. Margaret, thanks for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me. I love sharing the things that I know. Um, and now I'm actually embracing the professorship that I was given over 10 years ago um, because people have evolved since I started doing all this. So, um, you know, I've been training people in Japan and their ministers and all sorts of things. So I want to do the same for Americans. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Did you still want to be called Dr. Margaret or did you prefer Professor? No, no, I, I love Doctor is wonderful. Professor to me was always staunch and I that's why I didn't really tell people about it, you know. But, um, you know, to, to teach at universities, which I'd like to do eventually, um, I need to have that out there. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I found out something I didn't know and I think people should know this that if you're from another country like I am in England, where all my training was done in teaching hospitals and the like, uh, and uh, of course back in those days there weren't university courses in any psychology and psychiatry the way there is today, so all my study work in that area was done in hospitals. And uh, the local university here wanted me to teach the psych class, 
I wrote out the whole thing for them. They were over the moon for me to teach. He said, there's one thing that's missing. What university did you study at? And I said, no, there wasn't one. <laughs> you couldn't do that in those days. And so I was, he couldn't employ me. And that is such a, a shame because there are so many people now who want to know about all these uh, you know, alternative medicine and how our bodies work and why we get in a psychological state and so on that nobody knew. And I, I just did a, sh a radio show of my own on Journey into an Unknown World uh, where I'm talking about how they used to do lobotomies and all those kind of horrible things when I was nursing. So we've come a long way uh, and the universities need to understand that we foreigners or metaphysical people didn't have an opportunity to go to a university and study the way they do now. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It was really dark back then with all of that lobotomies and people would be thrown in those insane asylums for almost no reason at all compared to today's standards. Hmm. Yes, they were. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, if we spill over, I was talking about the 19th century uh, where women were married for their money and then the husband would announce to some physician that his wife was insane and without any to do, they would cut her off to the asylum and lock her away and nobody could get her out, not even her family, because the husband had full control over her. That's Can you imagine up. women today <laughs> dealing with that? I mean, you know, we've come a long way in the emancipation of women, but women are still very resistant to being independent. I notice that a lot, yeah. I think how enlightened people are more enlightened. I mean, people are today. Uh, that wouldn't stand, you know, like, I wouldn't put up with that. No, I know, but, you know, unfortunately, many people have been abused, you know, and, you know, especially with alcohol or drugs and things like that. Though back yeah. in the days when I was a young wife, uh, it was only alcohol. You know, we didn't have all the street drugs and things we have today. But, you know, now you can get high on Turkish caffeine, coffee, uh, and be just as bad as if you drunk, you know, a whole bottle of whiskey or something. Yep. Uh, it's appalling just how many people are losing themselves in some kind of drug and not looking at their real issues, their fear, their pain, their anger, their guilt, and seeing that they can overcome it. You know, so I spend a lot of time teaching people how to see another side of themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you do a lot of that, too, in your work. Oh, yes. I encounter mental health issues and addiction issues in people daily and help them daily. Mm. And, yeah. you know, when you're helping them, uh, some of them, you know, are classified as psychotic, but in fact, they're just acutely depressed. Uh, and people don't know the difference between someone who's so desperately seeking the insights and inspirations of their inner being with no one to help them. So they, they come off as these mentally disturbed people, but they're really hearing voices of spirit guides and they don't know how to handle it, or they're hearing memory voices of people in their life who've told them uh, some bad stuff. For example, my English teacher told me I'd never write a book, that my grammar was atrocious and so on. Hmm. And I hear her voice. I can actually hear her speaking to me. And of course, she's long dead. And it's not that her spirit's coming to me. It's just a memory sound. You know, and people don't realize that we listen 
you know, empathetically uh, with someone, and whether it's good or bad. And we record, we have a little recorder going on in our brain box, so we can hear the voices of people that have talked to us in the past. It's, it's a very unique skill that we have, actually, if we know how to use it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Especially since our subconscious never forgets anything. Right, exactly. I, I wrote this book, The Light Side of the Oneness, and I have to admit that when I write, you know, we write, the oneness writes with me. And um, while I was writing that book, even I was learning something about how at this particular period in time, um, the ascended masters, as we call them, which are old souls or even alien souls from ancient times and stuff we can't possibly remember consciously on any level are coming down and incarnating in different various forms in different places throughout the cosmos while we uh, are ascending. So there comes a time when uh, there's a, a passing like ships in the night and you don't know they're there, but spiritually we do and we find this sort of neutral space where all that garbage that's running through our heads just seems to switch off and then all of a sudden we seem to get this knowing self that uh, gives us insights uh, to who we are and what we're doing and there's a lot of that going on right now. Have you met people like that? Yeah, lots. Mm. I've met lots of people too that seem to, I can kind of shake them out of their psychosis a lot of times where other people can't. And then the trick is simply just listening to them, which is quite easy. Yeah, well, when, when we listen to people, it, it's not only that we're hearing their words, but we're hearing the, the resonation of that word. Like if I say, oh, I've got a headache, as opposed to, oh, I've got a headache. You know, there's different notes in the way I'm talking. and we don't realize that the speaking is really the singing and everyone who says i can't sing i say of course you can you're talking <laughs> you know so uh the more expressive we are then the more on track we are with our life and so our voice goes more up and down when we're talking whereas when we're depressed we get to be more monotone and you know people listening to a monotone voice start their brains wander because they're not in tune with what's coming down from that person or out from that person. So I always make a point, even if I'm working with hypnosis with someone, to help them find their tones, their resonations when they speak. Have you done some of that work? No, mine is strictly, um, strictly just uh, like I'm not really a psychologist or a, a, like a, what's the word I'm trying to say? Like, um, I'm not really there other to, to technically be an authority figure, but I go above and beyond and try to just like help them as best I can. Well, you're helping people that are really, you know, needing help in a very physical way. And, and people need to remember just how important that is. You know, um, we don't have enough people like yourself who are out there bothering to make sure they have a roof over their head or they have food, you know, or, or even, you know, recently I've been working with some women who've been abused and just to give them some pictures I took down off the wall 
was like to them a present of the century because they hadn't owned a real painting before. Ah. They're not valuable paintings, they're just paintings, you know, that I'd taken for granted. But for them, it was like gold because they, you know, they've been hand painted by someone. I don't even know who they were painted by. But One person's trash how... is another person's treasure. Yes, exactly. And, you know, when my husband passed last year, uh, I'm still going through the house, and I've got to admit, I've got, you know, chaos around me with paperwork. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a lot of things that he liked to keep that don't please me in any sense that I don't have an affinity with them. And there's other things that I just love that he wanted. And, you know, sorting out what I like versus what we like is is a big lesson <laughs> for me, <laughs> you know. And I, I know there's a lot of people when they're going through a divorce and there's quite a few people who are facing that kind of thought right now, being so close together, thrown at one another, arguing. And, you know, I hear a lot of things going on. And I have to say to them, take a deep breath and realize that your shouting is like singing some rock music with the band playing so loud that you have to put earplugs in. You know, uh, how can you be in harmony with someone when you're ranting and raving like that? Um, you know, being more mellow, being more serene, even, as you say, listening is very important for people because we need to be allowed to express who we are. And, you know, when we're children, especially for me in my age group, being born in, during World War II, we were not allowed to speak unless spoken to, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's nuts. Uh, yeah, and today, I mean, these kids coming in, they've got that extra, well, actually, there's kids coming in now, babies being born now, because we're 20 years into the century. When I first wrote about um, the DNA and the different children, you know, the, uh, I'll just repeat it, the um, hero star, indigo crystal and liquid crystal children I was talking about who had an extra DNA strand. Uh, now I'm beginning to realize that the babies that are coming in now have two and three extra DNA strands. So what that oh. means is they're brilliant. And, uh, you know, Katie Kamara, one of my managers, she said her child actually is only five, read the first page of The Light Side of the Oneness. Oh, wow. And found, and found it interesting. So, you know, and she didn't say, here, read it. <laughs> and and how many children, uh, you know, 20 years ago could have read a book at that age? None. None, right. And I've got two-year-old grandchildren that are actually reading in English. So you see, we're different. And they're coming in different. They're, they're, they're awakened. And the reason they're awakened is because over the next 50 years, they will grow up, they will have children, and their children's children will bring a new culture to this world. And I've been privileged to know what it is. It is sound. I've been working with sound and the crystals for so long. And I, you know, when I started with crystals, I was a, a child myself. <laughs> Uh, and I just saw the colors of them and I thought they were beautiful, gorgeous and told everybody, hey, look at this really pretty stone. And people would look at me like I was insane because it was just a piece of, um, say, um, 
I don't know, agate or something that was used off a rocky pathway. <laughs> I'm actually surprised uh, just how much psychology is in your books, actually. Like the light side of the oneness actually has a lot of psychology in it. Well, you know, everything about us is thought and emotion. That's all we are. We're energy. When we think and feel, we generate energy. And that energy is like what makes the body work. And if we don't function uh, in that way, then the body breaks down. You know? mm -hmm. uh, and so it's very important that we're animated. You mentioned and, vibration a lot. Mm, yeah, because, you know, have you ever stood next to someone who feels like they're not there? Have you ever had um, that? No, I don't really understand. Oh. Well, what I mean is you don't feel their energy, you don't feel their vibration. They're so pulled in because of fear that you can't even sense their fear. They're, they're like a zombie. They don't have any energy. Uh, and when you talk to them, it's like they look through you. They don't see you. Um, I found a few transient people like that over the years. There was one time when I actually found a gentleman here in LA, you know, in this country, and uh, he was rambling and, you know, in a distant language, I don't know what, from some time, somewhere or something, and everybody thought he was insane. And I spent two or three hours with him while my agent in those days tried to find me because she wanted me on ABC television. <laughs> I felt the pull, but I felt this person was more important. And in the two or three hours I was with him, I was able to draw him out of the shell. He was like a tortoise. He was hiding inside. And we brought, I brought him out, and he was able to communicate. It turned out he had a brilliant mind. And, and that's not unusual with people who have brilliant minds. That they, nobody understands a brilliant mind, so they turn inward and hide themselves away. Well, these kids that I told you about that are coming in, they're not hiding. They're going up to people and telling people, you shouldn't do that, and that's not right, and I don't want to see garbage in the ocean. You know, I already know I want to go out and clean it up, you know. Mm -hmm. And they're three years old, you know. So give a child an image, a picture, and they'll tell you more about it. And that's what I love about these kids coming in now, because they're not necessarily very old souls or anything like people used to measure them by. They're just awakened in their DNA to ancestry. And ancestry, if you think about anyone in any country, any place, uh, is always evolving. You know, mm -hmm. we're not nomadic anymore. We all live in high-towered buildings. <laughs> and we've all got electricity and so on. But what about those people who are living in the jungle still? They're there to remind us that we can go back to the earth, that we can live on the land. Yeah. And that's important to know that. I think there needs to be a good balance between how the modern world works and still staying in touch with our roots as human beings. Hmm. I think too, every, every child should be taken out where possible. Obviously in Arizona, it's a bit difficult, but um, where there's a farmland, every child, we, we did this in England, every child was taken to a farm to see the vegetables growing and to pet the animals like lambs and whatever, you know, pigs even. Gosh, that smelled terribly. Uh, <laughs> um, but it makes you remember, you see. As 
just like the Native Americans or the Africans and people across the world who honor the animal and the death of the animal and yeah. use the bones and so on, you know, I mm-hmm. still do that. I totally and understand I, that because I'm a vegetarian, but I'm not a vegetarian because I'm against eating meat. I'm against, I'm against how animals are treated. I'm against like steroids being pumped into them. I'm against mm-hmm. like all of the animal not being respected is what I'm against. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I was watching, and I think people don't know this, I think it's important to tell them, they kill one cow a second. Yeah. So when you, they push them in through this narrow little wooden track thing, and as they go in there, this hammer comes down and hits them on the head, literally knocks, kills them. Yep. And uh, then they drag the carcass out. And as they drag the carcass out, they're ripping off the skin right there and then. 
Did you know that and they uh, do that in front of the other cattle too? Like all the yes, other cattle can see this happening? My, that was my main point, yes. Now, can you imagine that being done to you? Terrific. And you know you're next in line? Terrific. I was so horrified when I learned about that. And the thing too is the antibiotics they feed into them are not their, their normal antibiotic. Their stomachs are different. They have three stomachs, the cows do. And, you know, anything that's chewing cud has to go through three digestive modes. We have two. We have the stomach and the, um, the next second stomach where it breaks down to liquid. Uh, won't be too anatomical here. And, and we take the duodenum, which is what it's called, for granted. But it's actually without that duodenum, we wouldn't have the ability to break down our food. Yeah. And it's, it's the same with these animals. And, and they're pumping all this stuff into them. They're not digesting the food that's why they get so fat yeah and well i'm also i'm sure as you know like like you say in your book when we drink water the water becomes a part of us when we eat the food becomes a part of us so these animals are living in a constant state of fear and anxiety mm -hmm. what is that doing to us when we absorb that into ourselves exactly uh, and uh, we don't realize how empathetic and sympathetic our spirit is so, for example, if I find a, a bone you know, on a pathway somewhere and I pick it up, I can immediately, through psychometry, know that it belonged to a bird or a rabbit or something, and I know that it was eaten by a jackal or whatever. I, I learn to interpret everything I feel, hold, touch, in the first seven to ten years of my life because I had um, a lot of Native Americans uh, in my consciousness and Red Cloud was the primary one. I had no idea about Red Cloud until I came to this country. He never told me mm. about all the terrible things his tribe went through. I had to read it in the library to find out and, and when I again approached him on the issue and said how was that time? He said that time was relative to the times now. Never repeat the cruelty of man to woman or man to man or woman to woman. Unity is our suffering moved forward, meaning understand you do not need to suffer as we suffered in those times. It's the same with all the black people brought over slavery, the Indian people brought over and made to you know, look after the whites and all the things that went on. And if we go back to the Greeks and the Romans and they had slaves and so on and so on, since the dawn of time, we think... All throughout history, yeah. Yeah, but you know what? The dawn of time is only 3,500 years of the Piscean Age. People think the Piscean Age is like 200, 350 years. That's the inner cycle. Every great age has to go through the sun signs. And right now we're in the Aquarian age, but internally we're in the Gemini age. Yeah, when you and said that in the book, it kind of confused me. It took me a second to figure out what you were <laughs> meant by it. Yeah. Because I, I had never heard out. of that before. Yeah, nobody has because nobody's understood that we are in a great age. Nobody's told them that, you see. And so it was new to me, as I said, the spirit was talking to me because, you know, I've studied astrology through the years, but I've been in the internal one. And mm -hmm. because I knew about the Taurus age where people, you know, in the uh, Roman times were 
pinning uh, the balls uh, or, you know, uh, honoring them and trying to jump over them and save them and making sarcophagus for them in the Egyptian periods, you know, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. It was a Taurus age. But mm-hmm. if we go back, we've got the Aryan age where we've got, um, you know, ancient uh, Jewish tribal men like Abram or Abraham, whatever you want to call him, who were getting ramps to offer you know, to, to the gods, because they believe the Aries is the ram. And again, we go back into the Egyptian and earlier, you know, periods of history, Babylonian and so on. And so, you know, we think that's old history, but it's, it, not. it's really not. And we've come through these years of 250 to 300 years of periods of going through these different cycles of the 12 houses. And the last you know, 250 years, 300 years or so, it varies depending on the stars and the planets and the way our Earth turns, um, that we, we're having nothing but, you know, double Piscean energy and Aquarian energy moving, you know, Capricorn, all these things were going on in different ways through the Piscean age. And so we've come forward, you know, into to the inner cycle and now we're into the Gemini. And you can see it, two ways of thinking. There's constant friction, you know, and that makes us grow. That makes us evolve. So it's it's a mm-hmm. good period in time, yeah. I found Chapter yeah. 3 about the spirit world exceptionally interesting. Yeah, and you know what? I have to tell you, I can't remember. <laughs> I have to look at the book. What was Chapter 3 about? Because The spirit world. So, like, oh, you go okay. into all the yeah. different planes, like, there's seven layers within each one, and um, I just love researching that kind of stuff. So, the first plane are where spirits have no form and are just pure energy and have to evolve to take shape, where they're discovering awareness. The second mm. plane seems to be, like, pretty frightening, the one of darkness. And um, it's thought-provoking how fragments or, or souls, I guess, would be an easier way for people to understand, uh, to be... Uh, reincarnated over and over between the second and third planes until they find a form that they wish to take. Mm. And um, I was I was just like interested in that. Is that like where ghosts are? No, no. That comes later when uh, we get to the fourth plane. The fourth, fourth plane, plane, this earth is, the, you know, the fourth plane, basically. And yeah. uh, everybody I, wants yeah, yeah. to turn up here and explore themselves in a physical form because it's very limited. Therefore, it allows you to really focus deeply on that limited part of yourself. Whereas when we're not in a body, um, we can, you know, be anything. We could, you could be a rabbit in, uh, one minute and a sheep the next or a human being the next, depending on your choice. But the thing that I was really didn't put in the book that I felt the world wasn't ready for, which I'm working on, is the aliens, you know, yeah. because we know um, that they're there. We, we can't deny it anymore because too many of us have had the encounters and too many of us are remembering. But the thing I wanted to really say here is I don't put anybody down in any sense of their memories. We're all entitled to our individual way of perceiving it. But much of what they talk about about Mars is ancient history, and yet they're receiving it as though it's yet to come. Like we'll go to Mars and, and we'll discover, you know, that it was just like Earth once upon a time. Why? Because, you know, it's moved further away from the sun, you know, or close to the sun, wherever it is, where I'm not thinking straight right now. But, 
You understand what I mean? You know, yes. You can hop, skip, and jump from one place to another, and we only know this very small part of the universe that we Tiny. call universe. Minuscule. And yeah, it's minuscule. And so if you think about um, a cell in your body, this is the way Spirit gave it to me, but as I said, I think the world's not really ready for it. But if you think about your liver, for example, it's made up of hundreds of cells. And that's like us saying, that's our universe. And we look out and we see about 20 cells and the function of the liver has 21 functions. Well, when I was a nurse, they told me categorically the liver only had seven functions. So you can see how we've expanded our consciousness about the way the liver works. But in the mm -hmm. same way, we're doing that with our universe, right? But even so, we still don't know the real truth about our liver and how it was grown and formed into that shape and why it is that shape and why it functions and looks at color and so on and so forth. But in the same way, we don't know about our universe. And if yeah. you were to just be the liver in consciousness, you would never know you have a big toe. <laughs> right. You know? So that's, I, I was trying to bring understanding down to simple things we know, but at the same time give people a sense of just how vast the universe is in terms of what we're looking at. And then when you think there are billions of universes that make up the cosmos, you know, of course there's thousands and trillions of spirits in different forms, in different dimensions that we'll never know. But when we go mm. back to the oneness and we go into that core that I speak about of the, uh, the I am space, you can tap into every form that there is. So currently right now, coming back to the children, they'll come up to you and say something like, you lived on Mars. And people look at them like, what, you know? But they're able to tap into those memories that are in the coding in people's auras and subliminally translate it into an image that makes sense to them and then give that message to someone. Carl, you call it the, yeah. the collective unconscious. Yes, you could, you could call it the collective unconscious. But in another sense, that's a limiting uh, phrase because we don't understand unconsciousness beyond I've knocked you over the head like I was talking about with the animals. <laughs> you know? um, and, and then we come out of body and then we're still consciously aware, spiritually, of where we've just been and what its motivation and purpose is to the rest of us. So mm -hmm. we still have to go into an instant sort of, oh, I've woken up and I remember now I had 49 lives in India and another 250 in Pakistan or something in the future, you know, just to mess mm -hmm. around, you know. And uh, in the blink of an eye, process it. Uh, we can't understand that because we can't do it here. So it, it doesn't make any sense to someone. Uh, all our memories are uh, sort of categorized in the subconscious under photos. We have a photo album. And each photo album, as it were, is uh, categorized by the emotions that we've had, fear, pain, anger, guilt, loss, and so on. They're the primary ones. Yeah. And, and uh, when we've got that, so if I lose a ring, shall we say, today, because I dropped it on the floor and forgot I dropped it, I could be hunting in cupboards and all over the place because I'm having memories of all the places I've been 
that could possibly have an association with the emotion of the attachment to that ring and never find it. Now that actually happened to me. I lost one of my treasures that my husband gave me. And you know, it was even funny, he went and did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually had a laugh over that rather than crying tears, you know, they were opal yeah. wings. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's how our brain works. And we hunted high and low, and we never found them. Uh, and to this day, you know, one could say, well, someone stole them. But no, they wouldn't have because it was different times. You know, it was just carelessness. But where were we when we were careless? Well, we have to dig for another emotion to find how we feel when we're careless. But that doesn't necessarily hook into a ring. It might hook into a r riding a bike. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you, you never know where your brain's going to go. And so every day is a discovery of what we know and how we use the brain and uh, how we understand ourselves as a being. I, I could go on for hours talking, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no worries. The the plane of the darkness, the frightening one, seems pretty scary, but I did think it was interesting how these uh, shards or spirits, they're actually very useful and contain a lot of good information. Mm. Like when they're reabsorbed back into the source, into the, the, the prime shard. Mm. The bottom line is that we need the negativity. It's like the balance or the weight. You know, you have... You can't have all light. You'll be, you know, from want of a description, you'll be floating off into the cosmos, never to know wherever you are. Nothing would matter. Uh, no, nothing would matter. Whereas with the density of the oneness, it, it brings you back to, hey, I do exist. Why? Question mark. What? When? Where? How? You know, and in each expression of those, we're a multitude of choices in the way we want to identify ourselves and mm -hmm. of course we're always looking for unity we want to find prince charming and princess and of course we learn nobody's prince charming um most women think joe is prince charming only to find out he's just nope. regular joe <laughs> yeah. who hasn't a clue what prince charming means in her mind but his mind thinks print charming is something entirely different and so we all have different points of view and people don't honor that they don't respect that it's a shame it's a yeah. shame because that's the only way to really experience things in a more pure kind of way outside of like confirmation bias and reality tunnels mm. you need to be if able we, to see from other people's eyes yeah if we would just listen i've, I've done a lot of shows about listen yeah <laughs> yeah I, I've got uh, a friend who talks at a hundred miles an hour. I can't even think that fast. <laughs> she slowed. She slowed down. Now she's older, but um, I wouldn't even try to do it. But I'll make a little sound like, "Oh, they're going to shop me. They're going to have to there. I'm going to get there, and I'll be there." And well, we're in, and I'll have to be coffee. <laughs> what did you just say? You know, I've heard coffee. I'll be there, and something. But what else would you say? <laughs> and now she slowed down to more like, uh, well, I'll see if I can copy it and I'll get it over to you another time because if I don't know, I won't be able to do it. I remember, I'm, you know, it's that fast still. Uh, <laughs> and there are people who do. Their brains, they're tapped in and they think a thousand miles an hour and they can follow themselves. But we're lagging behind because we need to process the sense of the world, what it means, 
uh, the emotion behind our association with that word and so on. And so a lot of us get very angry and frustrated when these people go on and on and we can't follow them because they're not talking slowly enough for us to understand. So I'm grateful that that was one of the things that was sort of knocked into me as a child. Speak slowly, precisely, and let people have a chance to understand what you're thinking and feeling. Yeah, Mm. and analyze what you want to get across by your words. In the Mm. book, it's mentioned how succubus and uh, fallen angels, like they're mentioned in the book, what exactly are fallen angels? Because it seems like most people think they're just like evil demons. But in the book, it seems more that they're kind of stuck here after the first cataclysm and kind of developed earthly ways to quote the book. Yeah, I couldn't put, you know, if I'd have written everything about demons and googles and goggles and whatever that we call them, uh, you have to remember that in the beginning was the dark side and out of the darkness grew the light. You know, that was the birthing. It's like you're in the womb, you're in dark. And mm-hmm. then in the birthing process, you're, you come into the light. So um, in that sense, when form had become aware of itself, it was, it was able to transform and change its form in many different ways. Until ultimately, um, and you've got to remember too, the cosmos that I was talking about. So there's many dimensions of growth going on in the dark Oh side. yeah, tons of them. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, angels, as we call them, were coming from the involvement level on some part of the cosmos somewhere, uh, who were coming to help those who are in now form uh, in the darkness, uh, slithering around like animals or snakes or, you know, first human forms or whatever you want to think of. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But the point is, they had to come and be like whatever was in existence. So, for example, I, I, I use Japan a lot because I taught so many students over there for over 28 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm ashamed I don't speak the language. Onigashimasu. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, hi, so did. <laughs> it's about the mark of my... You know, I can understand, but uh, I, when you have interpreters, you get lazy. But anyway, <laughs> um, when, when they basically... Um, uh, would talk to me about the dragons, um, you know, and how the ancient ones were there as dragons to help them. Uh, I had this one a young girl, she was the most gorgeous, beautiful girl I'd ever seen, really being honest. She was amazingly beautiful in every sense of the word. And she walks in and she sits down and she says, I'm evil. And I said, what do you mean you're evil? You're beautiful. And she said, no, everybody doesn't like me because they feel this evil in me. Well, as soon as she said that, I became aware of this dark energy and realized it was a dark dragon. And the short version of that story is that um, I, it took a while. You know, he was trying to, I wrote about it in one of my books. I can't remember which one. I think it was my journey into the oneness. Uh, and the short version is that he and his hordes of minions of different shapes of beings that were anything from imps to slithering things um, were all goading him to win me over and uh, put in his mind, he put me in the dark caves of uh, acid. Uh, we were in the acid bath and, you know, I was supposed to be petrified. And all I was saying was, you are becoming. Because the more he tried to convince me, I'd just say, you are becoming, you are becoming. 
and eventually this uh, shell of the um, dragon was splitting and he saw it and he said, what are you doing to me? And that was the bone of fear that came from him. And his horde of minions were like, what's she doing to him? She has more power than he has. And the short version of that story is that I gave him a psychological choice. He could return to the dark with his minions, as he called them. And I didn't know that word. It came up later. It's quite interesting uh, when they used it for those little things. Minions? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was given to me by the spirit. And um, so, um, you know, he had the choice. He could lose face and go back with his minions and still be their boss lead them or he could win them over and take them into the oneness and as he's sitting with me in this acid his skin is splitting more and more till you can see he's as white as me underneath and he's a full angel and uh, they're oh. like oh you know what's happening and uh, the light cast on them all and they were all transforming in different ways and off they all went into the light <laughs> Hello, dear listener. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? A spiritual or esoteric experience? Have you ever seen a UFO or something that you could not explain? Have you ever witnessed anomalous activity that defies reality? Have you ever experienced unexplained mysteries of existence? If you have your own cryptic tale and would like to have it shared on the podcast, then call 1-800-757-6049 and leave a message of your experience. If it's what Cryptic Chronicles is all about, then it will be shared on the show. Just make sure you thought about what you will say ahead of time, and give a clear and concise account. Also make sure to leave your name, where you're from, or any information that will assist in making a clear picture to portray to listeners of Cryptic Chronicles. Once again, call 1-800-757-6049. That's 1-800-757-6049. We look forward to hearing from you. Well, I forgot about it for a few months and, you know, wasn't worried about it. It was my growth and experience I had back in those days. And I was in the middle of teaching the students about psychic development. And suddenly there's this golden dragon in the room. And some of my students picked it up and uh, I told them the story. He'd returned to tell me that he was on the light side now as a golden dragon. So and that's like really not yeah. even an exorcism. That's you like saving a fallen angel. Exactly. They all need saving because they've forgotten who they are. I've never come across somebody doing that. Well, um, I'll tell that's you about. Really cool. I'll, I'll tell you about Haniel because Haniel was with me when the V one bomb when I was born. That one 
killed people across the street. And then the second one landed literally again across the street on uh, shops and people were living over it when I was three. And I remember that one got you off. And Hanil was standing right over me. And I didn't know the word, you know, what an angel looked like in that three years. So I don't even know if I was three. I was probably two and a half because I was born in 42 June and the war ended 45 May. Mm. So that, you know, I hadn't even had my third birthday yet. How you describe it in the book is pretty interesting, like how they're mostly actually like geometric forms, but they have to like take on darker energy around them to like manifest Mm -hmm. here in our world. And that's why they can look look like different to us, but it's not how they really look. That's just how they represent themselves in this the darkness. Yes, uh, because we relate to forms, you see, in structures. But what I was going to say is with Haniel, it was early dawn. I often wake up early dawn for a visit to the bathroom, you know. But this particular morning I woke up and I was Haniel. He'd come into my body and uh, my I could feel the... Did you invoke uh, him or he did it on his own? No, no, he he came to me. He wanted to bond with me because we're working in the oneness now. Oh. So, so many people across the world. I've come here for that purpose. I know I'm very old and so on, but that's not about me. This is about him. Uh, and uh, while he was in my body, I could feel uh, I had uh, spines, uh, like you've got the central spine. I had two more spines on either side of my thorax, you know, the thoracic mm-hmm. uh, bones going down the back. And I had these enormous wings that were going up over my head and uh, way above my, my, you know, probably two feet above my head. Was it just and two? My, uh, no, I'm talking about these spine. You know, I had, I had no, three the, the spines. Wings. The wings. Yeah. Did you, no, no. Was it just, just two wings? I was only aware of the two going above my head and they were folded just like you would fold your arms and not think about it. These were just there. They were, he wasn't thinking about it. And uh, I was aware that my my feet, which were his feet, were touching the wall, uh, which is, and the room is 10 foot across. My bedroom is 10 foot across from the way I had the bed at the time. So the wings were sort of going up, the sloping up the wall because he was that big, and the feet were touching the wall. So my assessment of him giving me a sense of his size was 10 to 12 feet tall. And that w- was, uh, and so, you know, I asked him later, uh, you know, why he'd, he showed me that. And he said, because one has to understand that if you are limited in your mind about your human form, how can you know more about forms beyond human form? It was more education. <laughs> he yeah. loved to teach. And uh, he's in charge now for the next two and a half thousand years. We, we finished with Michael, which is war, and learning that, we, you know, friction is what war is about, is a growth structure. Um, we go from the dark and the light, and we learn and we evolve. And now, with uh, this next age under Haniel, we are going to learn to listen, and congregate and unify. And uh, listening means, okay, I've got a plan. What do you think? Oh, yes. 
I hear that plan. I would tweak it a bit. How about this and how about that? Well, yes, I could understand that. Let's tweak it a bit more and so on until we get a good plan. And then we all agree and we put the plan into action. It'll take about two and a half thousand years or so, he says, for us to finally realize that's possible. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I don't know if he told you this or if you knew this, but Haniel is the archangel of Netzach in a Kabbalistic lore. No, he he doesn't. Um, you know, being born Christian, he came in that vibration with me, as did all the the seven archangels. But he did say yes years ago when I was young. He ran off a whole bunch of names I'd never heard and probably forgot them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I didn't want, you know, it's like, what, 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 you know, who's that, who's that, who's that, you just said me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, everybody has their names for them. Yes, uh, and what's interesting is you are 100% accurate from Kabbalistic lore because Haniel is the archangel who presides over this level of reality. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's nice to know, thank you. So what, what do you call him in the Kabbalistic lore? Haniel. You do use the same name, okay? Yep. Same he name. Has several, he has many names, you know. Mm -hmm. They uh, all do. And, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I was going to say Belzebub, you know. But they've got the dark side as well, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. For yeah. every sphere on the Kabbalistic tree of life, the reverse side has a demon for each sphere, and then you turn it back over, and each sphere has an archangel. So there's mm -hmm. a duality to everything. Mm. I got into that, uh, I have to be honest, many years ago when um, I had, uh, oh, I was, uh, you know, when I was 12, I was going to all the different churches. Mother allowed me to do that. I, I loved the gospel church. I used to stand outside and just listen to the sing, even though it makes me emotional. Hmm. I, one day I couldn't dare go in because I was only 14, and, uh, or no, 12, uh, and uh, going to Sunday school and they'd come out of there and they'd all be singing. And one day somebody invited me in, and of course they were all black people, uh, and uh, it was wonderful. I loved it. And I used to pop in once a month when I could. I was always welcome. And I miss that. I miss the singing. I miss the hymns. I, you know, singing is so much better than yelling and screaming, you know. Yeah. And I understand why everyone loved to sing in those days of, you know, you know the basic word of slavery is not slavery. It's submission. We had to learn to let go of control and surrender. And all of us, no matter who we are, you know, today uh, people say, well, I was black and you don't know and you don't have any idea. Of course we do. We've all incarnated and been treated badly. You know, it's just different centuries, different ages, different parts of the world, but we've all been abused and misused. Uh, and uh, it's all about learning that life, no matter what it is, even an ant, and I have to be honest, I was trying to kill a whole bunch of fireflies ants and I forgot that they could fly and I'm out there putting <laughs> this stuff down that's supposed to kill them and I've got <laughs> I've got Socrates in my head reminding me that he taught me that they are the most unified example of procreation support creation and involvement and so here I'm putting all this stuff down to kill them off and they didn't die they all and then one day I come out and they're all flying off with their wings. And I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot that. And I was trying to kill a life. And, you know, <laughs> it's a unit. 
of life, and I shouldn't have been doing that, which of course is the Hindu faith. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and so you know, throughout my life, I always uh, went and um, investigated all the religions when I was young. I won't bore you with all the details, but I've and I've researched all of them as well. Yeah, it's important we understand that. I think religion, we all do at some point or another. Seekers do. Yeah, I think so. But we're not just seekers; we're awakeners. I I like to think of us as people who awaken. And we are partly watchers as well, because, you know, we, we know when to act and when not to. Yeah. Uh, and of course, then we have aliens who are watchers as well, <laughs> mm -hmm. and inventors, you know, the whole new thing there about that. But the, uh, the book I put out, Regenesis, that was given to me when I was 25 in an all-night, all constant dreaming of it. And it's very much where I lived and my own mother and father. Uh, and, I have that uh, one, but um, yeah. I haven't read it yet. Oh, we already talked about that. Go on. Well, what I was saying is then book two came when I was 40, and I've done about 500 pages of it, and I sort of loved mistakes and never edited it, never did anything with it. Uh, and uh, I was, uh, I had an agent in California when I first came when I was 40, and she approached... Um, James Cameron, who just finished doing uh, the uh, Terminator, and he wanted to make the movie of it. So I didn't know how to write a script wow. in those days. And uh, so everyone was madly trying to put a script together. And then I'm afraid the recession came and uh, he had a divorce going on and he called me himself and chatted with me. We, ch we chatted a couple of times. And uh, I'm hoping I can find him again, but you know, all these wonderful people are have done marvelous works and they've all evolved, you know, from the Terminator, for example, with him, he's done Raising of the Titanic and mm -hmm. he's done all these spiritual things. But, you know, I'm hoping that I reached out that I'll find him again because I now know more than I knew when I wrote that first story. And uh, I'm understanding that when I go back to the second book, I'm going to be recreating it, re-adding to it. I think it's going to be a, a whole bunch of books. I, I've been uh, watching Outlander. I love that show. And uh, it really has captured the Scottish people uh, and the way it was in those years. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at now with new eyes on Regenesis and I'm realizing that the reason I didn't go any further with it was because I hadn't evolved. And so when I find time I'm going to go back and I think book two will probably be three or four books and then book three which is just an outline in my head will probably be another three or four books as well awesome. <laughs> because I'm realizing now it's a teaching process it's another way for people to learn and understand about the involvement of humankind uh, through the influences of outsiders so it's going to be interesting I, 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 I'm quite excited to do it but you know there's always a time and a place and uh, when you have time to do it so it's on my list of things to do yeah i'd love how, to read a, that whole series what were you gonna say i was just gonna say how are you doing for time are we okay yeah i wanted to ask you a couple more things mm -hmm. on page 48 it says that an army of light workers have incarnated in this great aquarian age the age of aquarius uh 
Just what is a light worker and how do you know if you are one? A light worker is basically someone who has an awareness of their purpose and existence. In other words, the, within early years of being born, they, they find their niche. They know what they want to be when they grow up kind of thing. Like I knew I wanted to be a nurse or a doctor and I did, never guessed I'd be a professor. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? You know, you know. And so your pathway is kind of set up for you and you bob in and out of things that you do along the way, but they're all lessons that make you awaken to your essence. And your essence is that you are a light worker. You're, uh, you know, you may have been a great teacher in past lives or, or another planet or somewhere else, but it doesn't matter here. What matters is you're programmed to do what you come to do, as it were. And as you evolve, you see the bits and pieces of the puzzle coming together and that core energy of I'm here to help people is always in your consciousness. And yes, you go through many ups and downs in order to um, you know, experience this world in the way it is at this time because you know, we may not have been down on this planet for maybe 4,000 years uh, or we may have been somewhere else on another planet. You know, So we have to get reacquainted with the ways of the times here uh, and uh, sort of intermarry ourselves with one another and meet up. Uh, and usually they're collectively a soul group. Um, for example, all the people that went on the march about uh, changing country rules and regulations uh, that happened in uh, Europe, you know, um, they, they are a common factor. They're here to say, we need to think about health first. We need to think about safety. We think about feeding one another, you know. So they're all come together. Now, it doesn't matter whether they're old souls or young souls. It matters that they're unified and they are collectively light workers. You know, that's how I see it. That's how Spirit says it with me. So one of the most fascinating things I found about the book is the Genesis that you had is one of the most interesting I've actually ever read, and I've studied a lot of them. It actually mm -hmm. resonated with me pretty well. The, uh, um, you know, the oneness, the universal mind, the all, the Tao. There's a lot of names for this idea of just like source energy and um, mm -hmm. all basically representing the same thing. And I like everything you really said about the whole Genesis, like it really resonated with me and I thought it was incredibly interesting. Mm. But um, yes, how, yeah. do you, how do you... So this notion like of returning to source has kind of been with me as long as I can remember, but it's hard to even think about such abstract ideas in like how polarized the world is right now. I know you said that this was channeled to you long ago, but how is it you still remain so balanced and wise and peaceful in a world constantly bombarding us with chaotic energy? Well, you know, the first thing you have to understand is judge not lest you be judged, as mm -hmm. Jesus said. And as, you know, Conscious Pilate, for example, uh, can you imagine standing there knowing full well that he's going to crucify a man that is doing nothing to his nation, the Romans, Whereas Barabbas has been, you know, he's like the bombing person of the time, you know, stirring up troubles and killing people and so on. 
and and just because they have a holy day where the people are given a choice, he has to agree with the rules and regulations. Well, it's no different today. You know, leaders of the countries, they they have to think about we the people, whichever country it is, and if we the people all want a negative versus a positive, they can't overrule unless they become a dictator. And, and no uh, dictator is a light worker. They're going to be on the dark side. It doesn't mean they're not ascended. It just means they have to do things the bad way. So that later in the eons of time or even in a few hundred years, people will look back at that person and say, we're never going to do that again. So, for example, when uh, the mass graves were uh, found during, you know, because of the terrible things done to the Jewish people, uh, by the Germans, we said never again. And then we suddenly find out that uh, they were doing the same thing in Yugoslavia, you know, and, and that little war that was Serbia and all that stuff that was going on, they found these mass graves again. Yep, and Asia too. Yes, and, and I was going to say that. And it's like, haven't we learned? Well, apparently not, because we still believe we must judge and condemn people. We have to learn. That's why Hanu is so important for this period now of teaching people that we have to listen. And even if they sound off the wall, there might be one pearl that's of wisdom that's born out of pain and suffering. And we need to integrate it into a new system. So if we've got, uh, you know, a hundred people, let's say, with a, a single pearl born out of their pain and suffering, that can come together and be as light workers and bring a string, a necklace that we can give to the world, we've done our job. After that, it's up to whether the world is going to see that string of poles as an example and make more strings of poles or whether they're going to tear them apart. Either way, it's growth. And that's hard for us to understand. But you see, as I wrote in the book, we have to have friction in order to evolve. If we were all happy-go-lucky sitting on the fence with our grass and our flowers and our food, we would just deteriorate. And if you look at France back in those years when they actually did that in Paris, back in the uh, 1700s, where they were dressed up to the nines in these big, poof on hairs of wigs yep. and you know what happened they had a revolution <laughs> <laughs> off with their heads you know um and that you know, obviously was taken into lewis carroll's story you know the the yeah. um hacker cards and i think he was such a marvelous writer for those times that story you know and alice through the looking window those stories were so symbolically there for us to read and you know people didn't get it they didn't know people don't get parables no they don't but we we need them it's yes, like Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall that was all about a king who didn't know how to lead so they mm -hmm. attacked him and you know an egg breaks and so he was broken and uh you know Hanoverian kings came in instead because there was no other kings but you know even they weren't any good Mm -hmm. Why do we need kings? Well, we, we need a leader. We, need we do need leaders. Leader. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's all. And today, if you think about the Queen of England, 
she's you know and if you've seen the the series i think it was very well done how she was manipulated she couldn't even be herself and to survive what is it 64 years now of not being who she wants to be it's like being in a prison it is yeah yes but the people, fancy the prison. people they, they love her for being that person. Why? Because it means England is still united. Yeah. Uh, and we need those examples. We need people who will be a leader. You know, but unfortunately, like Gandhi, you know, he never lifted one finger in violence. It, someone had to kill him. He actually came through me when I was channeling in, in LA back in those days when everybody wanted channeling. And he told the people that they were pray for his country because there was going to be terrible murders. And then the prime minister, she got murdered and so on. You remember that? Mm. No, I don't remember that. Well, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, Gandhi's a dear heart. Yeah, but uh, again, you know, we say Gandhi here, it's not it's Gandhi. But... Um, you know, he was originally born in Britain. Interesting. Yeah, isn't it? and he was educated there. Mm. So you know, we all get the tools we need, and we go out there, and you know, whether we're light workers, just teaching a bunch of kids in school, or we're going to go into politics and help change the point of view on how we vote. Who knows? But they're doing what they came to do. And uh, their influences bring us to a, a point of awareness where we turn a corner and we say, aha moment. And then we try and integrate that aha moment into the way we will move forward into our future. And, you know, I've lived through a lot of years and I've seen a lot of growth. And I'm not going to put anybody down because I think we've done very well in moving on from the restrictions, limitations, that were, you know, there during World War II. And when you look at, uh, you know, Vietnam and all the suffering that everybody went through, we learn. We don't need to interfere. We need to give. We need to share. We don't need to control. We don't need to manipulate. And so at the cost of many and suffering and so on, we learn to withdraw and rethink. And we evaluate ourselves and who we are. We have to do that. You can't win every battle. You know, sometimes you do have to walk away and let people be on the dark side because that controversy will be sorted out in generations to come. They need to have a witness of watching us down here on earth. Their spirits up there watching, and they're saying, "Well, when I get down, we're going to change that." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's in the book too, you know, the light side of the oneness. Yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic book. Um, thanks for coming on the show and joining us again. It's been really amazing. Well, thank you because I love to have a, an opportunity to share, you know, what the oneness has given me over the years and how I've learned to integrate it in my own life. And basically, that's how I keep my balance. I never forget the source from which I come from. And, you know, no matter how sad, you know, I can cry for the sorrow of the ages and I can cry for the joy of the creation of involvement. I'm a very emotional person generally, but I always come Me back too. to the center. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. 
Well, I want to thank you so much, Tim, for having me on your show uh, twice, too. And I'd love to do it again one day. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. Fantastic show. Dr. Margaret is awesome and always a pleasure. Make sure you go check out all her books on Amazon and make sure to get her latest book, The Light Side of the Oneness. Check out her Zoom classes at easypeasysolutions.org and check out her radio show on iTunes or any other podcast host called Journey into an Unknown World. As per usual, all links will be in the show notes, so make sure to go check out all of her stuff. Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and all podcast hubs. You name it, we're there. Shout out to my patrons, Paul, Ashley, Angie Allen, Stephanie Wilkie, Mark Lane, Leanna Watson, Linda Gonzalez, and Megan Crosswell. If you'd like to become a patron and join this illustrious group of enlightened sages, then simply visit crypticchronicles.com or search for Cryptic Chronicles on Patreon. Make sure to check out our social media, follow, subscribe, especially on YouTube and Twitter. We're trying to build up our numbers over there, but we're pretty much popping off everywhere else, so go check it out. Thanks to all those who support the show, and as always, thanks for listening. And as a brilliant mind once said, normal is an illusion. What is normal for the spider is chaos for the fly. Thank you.